We are beginning a new series this morning about what it means to live lives of authenticity. It's something that we all want to see in others and something we want to see in ourselves, right? To be more authentic, to be more real. And it's one of the things, it's one of our core values here at Grace. Every morning, Sunday morning, when you walk through the doors of, the, of this sanctuary, you pass by a sign in the breezeway. And on that sign, it talks about how we strive to be an authentic community who regularly takes steps closer to Jesus with hearts to serve. But what does it mean to be authentic? What is, it, what is authenticity really? And how... How authentic are you and I in our day-to-day lives? Uh, In your sermon notes this morning, I want to ask a favor as we get started with this brand new series. You'll find as you open up the sermon notes tab at www.mygrace.church, there is a little survey at the very, very top. And I'd like to ask you to just take a second to fill that out while I'm talking this morning. I want to ask an opinion of you as we get started with this series and get your feedback on what you think authenticity really is. I'd love to hear from as many of you as I can this morning as I kind of process through this series in the coming weeks. But in recent months, I have been finding um, that it's been hard to actually get onto Facebook. And so many, so many people, they have been making Facebook into a political soapbox these days. At least that's my two cents on the matter, which is fine. It's kind of a turnoff to me. It makes me not even want to look at it. But beyond that, I have found, and maybe this is just me, but it seems like oftentimes Facebook is beginning more, it's getting more and more superficial. I, I, I mean, I get that we want to display the best of ourselves and our kids to the people we know. And yet we want to show the better highlights of our lives, not the cruddy stuff, right? Not the whole picture. But the downside to that is that then we start to compare other people's highlight reels to our own lives, right? And we, I mean, maybe you've done it. I've done it at times. Wow, look at that. A a week in Hawaii. But that would be nice, right? Gosh, she's so good at baking. She's so good at decorating her home. I stink at that, you might say. Or look how much they are in love. I wish my marriage looked like that. Or all all, all of my friends' kids just seem to be perfect. They always seem to do everything right. I wonder what I'm doing wrong as a parent. And it isn't just a Facebook thing. It's true all over social media. You see it on Instagram. You see it on Tinder. You especially see it on Tinder. In all aspects of our lives, really. Not even just online. We want people to like us. We want people to see the best of us rather than the real us. Someone who struggles with patience or parenting or finances or faith or relationships. And yet at every turn... The world encourages us to put our best face forward and keep smiling. Even if you're faking it, fake it till you make it, right? And over time, that can get to be exhausting, can it? So over the next month, I want to ask you to go with me on a journey. A journey to find authenticity. To see what it really is and how we can let go of appearances and just be ourselves. To live that way. We'll talk about qualities like transparency and vulnerability. We'll look at habits that we all at times fall into like people-pleasing and avoiding conflict. And we'll learn how to relax and be the people that God created us to be, not the people that others want us to be. All right? Does that sound good? So as we... 
as we look at this area of our lives, this is true in all areas of our lives. Authenticity starts by taking a real honest look at ourselves before God. Before we can be authentic with other people, we have to be real with ourselves and face our flaws. And God's given us a great, great story in the Bible to help us unpack this. It's the story about a man named Jacob, a guy who lived nearly 4,000 years ago. But it's a story that couldn't be more true to life today in 2018. Now, I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to Genesis 32. And we're going to be in Genesis 32 in a little bit. But if you have your Bibles, particularly if you have paper Bibles, the the old-fashioned kind, you know, with with pages and stuff, um, what's really great is if you could actually flip back to Genesis 25, and I'm going to briefly walk you through a story of this guy's life that culminates in chapter 32. So if you have one of those screens, maybe you can flip on that back to chapter 25. But walk with me on this story for just a minute. This story of Jacob's life starts in chapter 25 as he is born to this couple, Isaac and Rebekah. And Jacob is uh, born a twin. His twin's brother is named Esau, right? And what's normal in that was, what was normal in that culture was when you were, if you were the firstborn son, you got all the stuff eventually. You got all the inheritance, all the blessing. And even though these were twin boys being born, Esau happened to pop out first, so he gets everything, right? Now, chapter 26, the next step of this story, we see the story of Jacob and Esau's dad, Isaac, deceiving a local king named Abimelech. Now, there's a famine in the land, and in Isaac's mind, he's thinking, I just need to do what I need to do to take care of my family, and he thinks that lying and trickery are the best way to go. And surely this, is, this makes an impression on Jacob. Because by chapter 27, Jacob's deceit starts. While Esau is away from home, Jacob tricks his dad into believing that he is Esau so that he can steal his dad's blessing from Esau. And he's already stolen the inheritance from Esau. And now he steals his blessing. Everything that his dad could give Esau, now Jacob has for himself. And Esau is so mad, he determines that he is going to kill Jacob. So Jacob runs. He runs for his life. He goes and runs far away to his uncle Laban. And after escaping with his life, you would think that he learned his lesson. But he didn't. Twenty years later, Jacob is still living with his uncle Laban. And now he's married both of Laban's daughters. Why? Because he was on the receiving end of a little bit of trickery by Uncle Laban. And he ended up with both sisters. And in chapter 30, we see that Jacob is still feeling taken advantage of by Uncle Laban. So he decides, once again, to pull off a scam and get rich off of Laban. Laban's sons catch on to this scam eventually. And Jacob realizes that his deceiving nature is caught up to him once again. And he's in trouble. So what does he do? What he's good at doing. He runs again. He grabs his family, Laban's daughters, his grandkids, and he takes off without Laban even knowing that he's gone. Now, the first time Jacob ran... He was alone, and it was easy for him to get a good distance away from Esau, but this time he's got all this stuff with him. He's got all these possessions, all this livestock. He's got all his his family with him, and he's a little bit slower, and this time Laban catches up to him. 
And in that moment of confrontation that we see in that story leading up to, leading in chapter 30, 31, what we see is that um, Jacob admits to Laban to being fearful and running, but he never owns up to the fact that he deceived Laban. He never does. It's an interesting story. But I want to push the pause button on this story for just a moment and ask you to consider maybe, possibly, if your story somehow parallels that of Jacob. Is there a character flaw perhaps in your life that has persisted for years, for decades? Maybe, maybe you're not a con. Maybe you're not good at deceiving people. You never have a desire to like, like Jacob did. But maybe you're a bit of a manipulator. And you're good at get, getting people to do what you want. Or maybe when it's practical and your reputation's on the line, it's easy to stretch the truth a little bit or maybe to just deny the truth altogether. Maybe, maybe you're prone to share a little bit too much at times about other people's lives. And really what, you're, you're, really what you're doing is you're being a gossip, but you wouldn't call it that. Or maybe you struggle with lust or with anger. Maybe, maybe you have a hair-trigger temper that sometimes when someone hurts you, you know how to get someone back. Now, I'm not trying to pick on you or to find fault here. What I'm trying to just say here is that we all struggle with things at times in our lives. These things in our character. And it's easy, it's so easy to minimize these things. To blow them off year after year after year. And... If we don't really deal with them, if we're not honest with ourselves and God, we can allow these character flaws to persist for years. These things can keep us from a life of integrity, a life of authenticity. And we can keep running and running, running from the truth about ourselves like Jacob did, and not only hurt ourselves, but we hurt other people in the process. How do we ever get real with ourselves and God? When do we stop deflecting, stop minimizing, stop running? When do we stop fooling ourselves and those around us? You know, when I think about running, it reminds me of a movie that I saw not too long ago called Catch Me If You Can. Did you ever see that movie by Leonardo DiCaprio? I love this film. And it's based on a true story, by the way. It's the story of a teenage boy in the 1960s who's constantly on the run as he is conning people left and right. As a teenage boy, he, he dupes people into thinking that he's a doctor at one point, into thinking that he's an attorney. At one point, he even deceives an airline to make him think that he's an airplane pilot. When, when he's finally caught at the age of 21, he serves prison time in three countries. <laughs> But he is so comfortable with himself and his flaws. He's so comfortable relying on those to get what he wanted out of life that he had no intention of stopping until someone made him stop. Likewise, we can get so used to our own character flaws, so accustomed to them even, that we can downplay them and run from them and from ourselves for years. And in those moments... When we're running, we're not real. We're not authentic. And now, Jacob has taken advantage of so many of his family that he has nowhere to go. Does he? 
He, he thinks he can smooth things over with his brother from 20 years ago. Maybe my, my brother's finally cooled off. So he decides, I'm going to send a few people ahead of me to go talk to Esau, kind of smooth things over, make, make things good. And then he finds out, from the, as they start running back, that, uh, that Esau is now sending an army of 400 people after Jacob. Hmm. Now what's Jacob going to do? Where is he going to run this time? All these years of living in authentically, of taking advantage of people, and now he's brought face to face with his flaws and his fears. Jacob is finally about to realize in this crucial moment of his life what sooner or later we all come to realize. And this is the point I'm getting at this morning. I've taken a little bit of time to get here. When I'm real with God and when I'm real with myself and I wrestle with my fears and my flaws, then I can become the real person God's created me to be. But not until then. I'm going to say that again. When I come to the point in my life when I'm real with God and I'm real with myself and I, and I allow God to just wrestle with me through the, the things I'm afraid of, the, things that I'm, the ways that I'm broken, I can then become the real person God's created me to be. Finally, Jacob gets real with God about his life. He stops running and he actually starts praying. Yeah, he, he still tries to do things in his own strength to manipulate. He pulls together a bunch of his valuables and he sends those ahead to try to buffet the army of 400 to try to make Esau calm down a little bit. He even sends his family way off ahead of him. And that's the point. That's how scared he is at this point. But in that moment, he does pray. And he finally gets real. And he starts to be honest with himself and with God. He admits that he's not worthy of God and his favor. And he begs God to rescue him out of the mess that he's created for his life. And in that moment, God shows up. And he does a work. I want to show you that part of the story. Genesis 32, starting in verse 22. This is incredible. It says, during the night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. So everyone's gone. And Jacob has this moment of solitude. And God shows up. Look at verse 25. It says, when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And then the man said, let me go. The dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's an odd thing to say to someone you're wrestling with, isn't it? What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be called Jacob, the man told him. For now you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why, why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping. 
because of the injury to his hip. So, interesting story, isn't it? So this mysterious person shows up in the camp after everyone's gone in this moment of solitude that Jacob is having. And Jacob gets into this tussle with this guy. But at some point, Jacob realizes this isn't just some ordinary person. Jacob refuses to give up. And notice, he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, how many of you have told that to someone you're fighting with? Right? How many of you say, I'm not going to stop fighting you until you bless me? I mean, he knows, right? He's coming to realize this isn't just some ordinary person. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, and actually in the book of Hosea, what you see is that this person in this story was actually an angel sent by God. And it says that ultimately that day, he wasn't just fighting an angel of God. He was actually wrestling with God. Jacob knows the life that he's been living, and he knows that it's not been working. He knows that he can't live that way anymore, and he wants to change. And he's saying, God, I will not give up. I need you to change me. I need you to bless me. And in response, what does the angel say? Notice. He says, what is your name? Now, if God's in the midst of this, does God really not know his name? What gives here? The deal is, God wants Jacob to say it. I read once that Jacob in Hebrew actually means deceiver. So God's saying, who are you really? And Jacob finally owns up to who he is. He's like, yeah, okay, God, let's get real. I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the con. That's who I am. I've done this to people my whole life. I've ripped off everybody. I've lied to my dad. I lied to my brother, stole his inheritance and his blessing. I've lied to my uncle, cheated him. And in that moment of brutal honesty, of authenticity between God and himself, Jacob is finally able to find himself. God says, okay, now that you're really honest, I'm going to give you a new identity. No longer will you be called deceiver by everyone. You will be called Israel, which means one who strives with God. There's a Christian author named J.I. Packer who once wrote this about this story. He said, as Jacob wrestled with God, he grew ever more conscious of his own state, utterly helpless and without God, utterly hopeless. And then he said, he held on to God while God weakened him till he came low enough for God to raise him up. It took him nearly a lifetime to get it, but he gets it. He realizes that when we are real with God and with ourselves and we wrestle with God through our fears and our flaws, that we can truly become the people of God that he has created us to be. Not the people other people want us to be. Listen, we cannot live a life of authenticity if we ignore and minimize the work God is wanting to do in us. We can't. It's never God's will for us to run from our problems, especially problems in our character. And if you run from them, they'll just come after you again because God isn't interested in so much in making your life comfortable as he is in changing your character. You know, there's a, 
a good uh, relevant magazine article that's in your online sermon notes today about being an authentic Christian. And our staff actually read this article together uh, before the end of the last year. And one of the things that this pastor who wrote this article said, I just had to share with you this morning. Listen to what he says. He says, embrace the tension. Find your way to the cross, to death, and to burial, and stay there a while. Don't shy away. The experience is supposed to be awkward and emotionally uncomfortable. Accept the journey is a painful process and cooperate with God as he initiates and carries out change in your life. As surely as you experience the death and burial of your broken self, he says, you'll also experience the resurrection of it. Listen, we all have flaws. We all have fears that feed those flaws. God loves you just the way you are. That is true. And God loves you too much to not allow you to stay that way. The encouraging thing is, is that God sees so much potential in you. He's not wanting to do so many great things through you. That he doesn't want these silly little things in your life to trip you up. To hold you back. To keep you from being the person God's created you to be. God, your heavenly father, doesn't necessarily want something from you. He wants something for you. We can choose to run like Jacob did. And like Jonah did in another famous story. And he'll let us run for a while. But sooner or later, he looks at each one of us and he says, Jacob, Jonah, David, stop running. I didn't create you to be a pretender. I didn't create you to be a hothead. I didn't create you to be critical of other people. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank for yourself. So let's get real. Get real with me, with yourself, and let me change your character. Let me make you into the person I created you to be. The Bible says in those times, God wants us to come to him boldly. Hebrews says, let us go right into the presence of God and share with sincere hearts, fully trusting that Christ will make us over. So we have to stop running. Some of you today, you have experienced something like this. God has pinned you down before. And you let circumstances catch up with you so that you could wrestle with him. I know he's done that with me at some times in my life. And I am so glad that he has. But some of you, I'm wondering if maybe you're in that position right now. You've been running. You've been running for that thing in you that you don't like. That thing in you you don't want to see. The thing in you you don't want anyone else to surely see. And you've been running and running. And you haven't been your real self. And God's saying to you, God's pleading to you this morning, will you stop running? Will you stop running and let me do a work in you? Stop, pray, and wrestle with me. Let me make you into a new person. Authenticity, it starts with us and with God. We can't be real with others until we are first real with ourselves. But just imagine... What kind of people you and I can be, that we can all be, if we learn to live a life of authenticity.
if we learn to not ignore those ugly parts of ourselves we just assume not see, but to look at them with the Holy Spirit next to us and allow him to do a work, to make us into the men and women of God he's always wanted us to be. That's what it means. That's the start of living an authentic life. I hope that you will continue to join me on this journey over these next few weeks. This is the foundation. It starts with us being real with ourselves. And now, in the future weeks, as you come back, what we're going to look at is, from that place, how can we learn to be real with other people in our day-to-day lives? But as we wrap up our time together, would you pray with me? Lord, we are starting this new series heavy. I get it. We are starting with a really hard truth, and that is that we have to come to a place sooner or later in our lives where we wrestle with you, God, where we are face-to-face with our fears and our flaws, and we deal with them. Lord, I pray for each person in this room. I know for several people here this morning I have triggered some of them. I've brought back some painful memories that have been shoved back into the past. I've reminded each one of us of those aspects of ourselves we don't like. And Lord, I know that your Holy Spirit is challenging us this morning. It's appealing to us. It's begging us, just as you did with Jacob 4,000 years ago, to be real and to stop running. God, I pray that we would hear you in those moments of solitude. In those moments when we're able to just be real. God, I pray that through these next few weeks that you would make us more authentic than we've ever been before. More real to people. And that people would see the difference in us. They would see the real us shining through. And then, in essence, they would see Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've never come face to face with these things in your life and you've never come face to face with Jesus, I want to encourage you, I want to appeal to you to not run anymore, but to face these things with God, before God, and allow Him to make you into the man or woman of God He's called you to be. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I confess that I am broken. I have run from it, God. I have ignored it. I have tried to put it out of my mind. I've tried to put my best face forward and just smile a lot. But God, I know I have some work to do. You have some work to do. Lord, I ask that you would come into my heart and my life and that you would forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of all those ways I've disappointed you, God. God, I ask that you would come into my life right now and forgive me of those sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that you would begin to change me from the inside out and make me into the man or woman of God that you've called me to be. Lord, I want to see the creation that you originally designed. The flawless, perfect creation. And God, I know that I'll never get there until eternity. But Lord, I look forward to seeing how you unveil that part of me in the months and years to come. In Jesus' name, amen.